everybody, welcome to another edition of the SwiftCast podcast. I am Caesar Devers, working on his soon-to-be ever-present tan. We have Adam, and oh. trying to get cell phone service in his own house, we have Clay. That's just sad. Right? What happens when you live in the boonies? The three amigos, we're all three of us together for the first time in a while. We're excited to uh, get to all these topics we've missed in our little sabbatical. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so to get started, let's talk about the wonderful watch and uh, the reviews and such that are coming from the community. So Caesar, you actually tried one on. You want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so I was um, at Grand Central, and you can make a little appointment to try one on. And I didn't know that you could do that. I was just moseying around the Apple Store because... Um, right before I was going to go on vacation for a week, I literally dropped uh, and smashed my iPhone 5. So I needed a new phone. So I go to the 24-hour Apple store on Fifth Avenue here by Central Park. And it is 4 in the morning, and I'm waiting for my phone, my iPhone 6, uh, to be brought to me. And one of the sales associates, obviously completely out of board out of his mind, says, Hey, you know you can make an appointment to try on the Apple Watch. I say, Well, that's cool. Um, you know, maybe I'll do that someday. Like, when's your next availability? And he's like, well, no one's here now. So I had a quick little, uh, they give you a spiel about it, and then you try on the watch. I tried on a sport, and it was, you know, not going to lie, it wasn't the sexiest thing I've ever put on my wrist. And I think a lot of the reviews are kind of echoing. There's kind of a lukewarm reaction to it. Right. Is that the only one you tried on? You didn't try on the gold, you know? Yeah, no. I'm, um, it, it was one of those things where if it wasn't – I didn't go seeking out to do that. And it was it was 4 in the morning and I had a flight the next day. At, uh, I had to be at the airport at 1. So I was not in the mood. Um, but it was a nice distraction for the fact that I completely smashed my phone. That's the only one that I got to try on. And, you know, I think that – it's with the try on it wasn't paired to my phone and they don't give you a a paired set right so you only have the watch and i think it was it's hard to replicate any of the use cases just having half of kind of of the set so it it, it really is not a fair experience i think it was just it's 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 designed to give you a sense of how it looks, maybe to try on more than one model in terms of aesthetics, and then to really hear from the Apple employees a little bit about the watch. I, I, it's, it's, it's not a representative example, but it could be fun to do if you're dying to get one on your wrist. Well, tech aside, I mean, is it the luxury brand that uh, Apple's been touting? Um, okay, well, fair disclosure, I do a... Uh, a good amount of contract work for a company that deals in luxury watches. So I would say that it's definitely not as nice as having a very nice watch, but even more than that, some of the Android wear watches, in my opinion, are look more luxurious, look more, um, they make more of a fashion statement and they just, they feel nicer. The Apple watches is, is, it's, it's odd to say that it's thick for something that is not actually that thick, 
but it definitely looks like you put a little um, a, a thick rectangular prism on your wrist. It kind of sits on top of your wrist in a in a noticeable way. It didn't. It didn't. You know, it didn't feel great having like my shirt cuff over it. It it just kind of looked out of place in my short period of time with it. Right. How about the actual weight of it on your arm? Oh uh, yeah, it didn't, I didn't really notice it. It 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 definitely does not weigh. Um, I haven't worn a watch in a long time, and uh, I didn't even think twice about the weight. Cool. That's really important. When I have a watch on myself, I know if it's too heavy, then it's just distracting, and I know that I have this thing on my arm all day. Yes. Okay. Yeah, so I mean, I'm interested to see what the what uh, kind of happens. We, the, I guess, the last estimate that I saw, we're we're seeing shipping dates in in June. Uh, Claire, I know you're really down to get one early on. Did you pre-order? What do you know? What the status of any of the inventory is? You know, when I went on to pre-order same day of launching, uh, it was already back in June, and I was like, eh, you know, at that point, like, if I could have got one within a couple weeks they would have had my money, you know, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. regardless of how good the, the product was, they would have had my money. They built up the hype and, you know, I'm an Apple fanboy, I guess. Um, but you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not willing to wait for June and now like hearing the reviews and, um, you know, I've yet to tr- see one in person or try it on, but, um, my, I- I'm feeling a bit jaded already. And so, you know, like Apple may have lost my money on this one. Um, kind of yet to be seen, but guess we'll find out yeah i think my the the strangest part for me that really uh turned my opinion to be a little sour was all the reviews kind of universally say that there's a noticeable lag uh between updates where the phone and the watch are communicating so apps that actually rely heavily on the phone for for uh tasks are noticeably slower than others. And I think that's that just kind of ruins the the experience. I mean, I, I'll have to try it out myself. Maybe I don't notice it. But the fact that it was so universally harped upon, it just it you know, it's it's it ta- it goes away from the ethos of really quick interactions if maybe half of the interaction or, or at worst is spent waiting for something to update from the phone. Right, you might as well pull out your phone. At so that I'm point. saying, and at that point, even even if it's a fraction of a second, if I noticed it, I could have pulled out my phone and done it. You know, it's weird, but I feel silly, like in hindsight, not thinking of this sooner. But I had a Bluetooth device that I ended up just completely uh, not using after a while because it drained my battery so fast. When you think about just the constant drain of talking wirelessly to any given device, you know, there's there's a lot of battery drain. There's a lot of lag. And it's kind of like silly, like we're, we're not into uh, an era of wearables and, and devices that have these impressive batteries, like batteries holding everything back in the hardware space. So like, it's kind of crazy to think that we would have real time tethering between a watch and a phone, because if it was real time, which I'm sure Apple could do, you, you'd probably have like a few hours of battery at best, you know, between both devices. Yeah, okay. on, a, on a completely tangential note, I really think my, my iPhone 6 has way better battery than my iPhone 5 had. 
And it could just be that I had my five for almost two years, so the battery is not as good as it once was. But I'm I'm very pleasantly surprised by the iPhone 6's battery life, given how much bigger the screen is. That's a completely aside. <laughs> yeah, I'd have to agree with that, though. Um, so another thing that we should get to, which kind of relates to wearables, is research kit. So Apple finally um, released the the open source code for research kit on GitHub. And I think that A, we were all surprised at their language of choice. And B, we can talk about maybe what we think about research kit in general. Right. So just to give everyone a heads up of what research kit is, it allows researchers to easily create apps that take advantage of the iPhone's features to gather new types of data. Um, and their idea is to make that you know very scalable or on a huge scale, so we can take in lots of data and do what you want with it and spit out some numbers, right? So yeah, the language of choice is actually Objective C. Today I was actually seeing that some people were complaining of their choice of language being Objective C, saying this could be Apple's chance to actually show off Swift with one of the libraries that they release. Um, I believe also the application that they, their Hello World is also in Objective-C. That's what you were saying earlier. Mm -hmm. So just all of that is quite disappointing when we have this new fun language and everyone wants to actually see what Apple is capable of doing with it. Yeah, I mean, I think that... I'm not quite sure how many developers have actually switched over to, um, to Swift. But the numbers is just, it, it can't be that many. I feel like we repeatedly are seeing evidence that Objective-C is still the standard, um, you know, from Apple itself. Yeah, it's kind of unfortunate to me because I, I love Swift so much, but I think it's going to be a while before, uh, I think there's an estimated like 2 million devs uh, in the, uh, the Apple ecosystem and app uh, registered like app developers. You know, you think about that, like, it's a huge number. You know, it's, it's a massive amount of devs. And I, frankly, you know, the, the longer you stick with a language and, and a framework, like, the more kind of married you become to it. So I think it's really going to be the, the hipster devs that, you know, make Swift a thing. Right. I, um, I saw a statistic today from, I believe, Stack Overflow. They did a survey with over 26,000 people on Stack Overflow mm -hmm. and they asked um, essentially would you continue to work with Swift and 78% of the programmers that are currently working with Swift said they were eager, eager to continue developing with it. So it's obviously quite a fancy language um, even though you know Objective-C still has its place in our ecosystem. Right. Yeah, I mean I you know, I'm kind of in the in the boat that I'm really, really, really in on this research kit idea. Is, is that just me? I like the idea, um, and I like that they open sourced it. That was an interesting move. Completely open sourcing it and putting that that source out on GitHub was was pretty cool. For me, I just it's hard for me to really think of an example. You know, there's there's all kinds of different inputs and, and different ways to measure things. I just don't know how how valuable is that data really? Like how can you 
how can you actually quantify that data and not, there's so many variables. As a reformed uh, uh, economist by training, I tell you that scale rectifies everything. You know, if, if you have enough data points, yeah, some of it's noisy, it, it's not going to matter. That's the first thing. And I think if, if you can reach the level of scale that you could potentially reach just by having people not have to go to the the hospital or the the lab to do these studies, it could be incredible. Second thing, which I think is little known, is that a lot of scientific research gets done on, you know, Amazon Mechanical Turk or Odesk or something where they'll actually pay people to do these surveys and studies and questionnaires. And I mean I know when I was in college, there was definitely, you know, eight to ten bucks to be made on any given day doing psychological studies. So just taking that idea and, you know, thinking of a world where maybe there is a a market for studies where I can make two bucks and when I have an extra fifteen minutes on the subway just by doing a questionnaire, that seems like a win-win and for just so many so many people that could really be powerful yeah that could be definitely a powerful platform i think the only issue that you know we'd have to worry about is the adoption as long as it becomes adopted then you know we'll have enough stats to actually start doing stuff with um you know they show on the website uh doing stuff with asthma, Parkinson's, mm-hmm. Parkinson's, diabetes, breast cancer, and cardiovascular disease. You know, if, if we can learn enough with apps on the phone to actually help cure or prevent, you know, or improve people's situations with these diseases, then that's an awesome breakthrough. You know, in medicine, we always see this issue with people sharing data. You know, uh, your data is very private, and they really don't want to kind of give it out. So maybe this will actually start pushing more towards people being more okay with sharing their data. I know that Google is also kind of doing something in the medical field where they're trying to collect data. Um, So with all these companies pushing to try to collect this data, we might be able to do a lot better things for people with diseases and other issues. Yeah, I mean, I I actually downloaded the asthma app. And I haven't actually signed up for the study, but I watched the little intro video and I read how it works. I did a bunch of other stuff and it, it, it's a six month study. So it is, it is a legit commitment with an average of 15 minutes of tasks a week and quite a few questionnaires. It could be, you know, um, reminders to take your medicine and they kind of, you They'll ask you questions about your condition and you, uh, I guess, text input your responses. But I think that, you know, the, the, the apps that are already in the store are setting the right expectation in terms of uh, user interaction. Like 15 minutes a week, it's like you won't even notice that you've done it for six months when you have, I think. You know, and I think that's the level of... Um, of interaction that, that you can expect from a user, especially for free. And I really hope that devs out there can be can be can pair with research opportunities because this could be great. But there's a huge barrier because you have to actually make your own app. You know what I mean? 
there's not like off the shelf apps that do all this stuff for you. You have to actually create an app, find a dev, or learn to um, to roll your own as a researcher and um, create these apps. And I think that could actually be a big uh, big impediment because you know a researcher has to know a bunch of stuff. Has to know you know your your statistics software, your your journal things you're writing your papers you may have to teach if you're an academic and learning how to make uh ios apps for research kit might be too much but i really hope that it's not right you know in the same idea this may open an entire new marketplace for developers to get more into the medical field and doing development there this is true you know i think that there is a there's going to be a wave of grant proposals from funding agencies, National Science Foundation, um, that kind of stuff, where the proposal is literally creating a creating a research kit app because the costs are so low. I mean, you know, it could be forty k just to make the app, and for a big funding agency, that might be that might be something they actually get behind. So that's a good point. Definitely. Cool. Um, should we talk about our attempts at publishing Flourish? <laughs> yeah, I, I think Clay has some stories to share about getting a uh, getting an app in the App Store. Indeed I do. Well, for one, I picked a, a terrible time to, uh, to be launching an app with uh, Apple saying, hey, you can now push your WatchKit apps to the store. Uh, I'm I'm pretty sure that uh, my latest revision will be in queue for probably a month and a half before it's ever looked at. But uh, yeah, so interesting tidbit. Uh, first iteration, first build, push the app store. I'm really excited. I've gone through it thoroughly and tested it on multiple devices. I'm like, yeah, this is going to be pushed through by Apple first time, no problem. And um, they reject it. Uh, fortunately, they responded pretty quick. Um, the first submission, I think it was within a week. Um, and the reasons for rejection were that I am using CloudKit as a primary data source. So basically, um, and it, they didn't refer me to any documentation saying like why this is against their terms or anything, just saying, hey, you're using CloudKit as a primary data source. Um, which is like, like, yes, I am. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was kind of like more it, it, more like a comment than a question and uh, threw me off. Anyway, so I went searching and, and reading through their documentation again with a, a fine-tooth comb. And basically the closest thing I could find to a, a hint is that they intend CloudKit basically to be a syncing tool between local data stores and the cloud. However, if you look at CloudKit, there are a lot of utility methods uh, and, and there's a whole the whole frameworks built around the concept of not just background casually syncing to the cloud, but actually there's there's quite a bit of support for pretty uh, real time consistency and real time um, syncing. So to me, that's like, well, this is a cloud database. I should be able to use this as a primary data store. And um, my app was designed with that in mind. Um, you know, it's a it's both a tutorial and an actual app. So, you know, I wanted to keep it simple. I didn't want to overcomplicate it by having a local data store that, um, you know, people that follow our tutorials 
would have a hard time like understanding, oh, here's the SQLite library and you're going to use that and then you're going to write a, a, a class here that's going to do some syncing for you based upon this local ID versus a remote ID and, you know, it was just going to overcomplicate things. So I wanted to keep it simple and I designed my UI to say, you know, give them alerts if, if they're not online, they didn't have internet connectivity and it, it failed. Um, and it would store the data kind of in, you know, just temporary memory. Um, you know, if, if, if the syncing failed and would try again until it could push it, you know, so for all intents and purposes, like it was good to go in my opinion. Um, so basically I took a, a note from uh, Jameson. We talked to him a while back and he was talking about how uh, different Apple developers will kind of arbitrarily reject you based upon their own opinions or whatever. And sometimes you just resubmit the app without changing a thing. Uh, and that's exactly what I did. So we're going to find out um, uh, whenever we find out if that works and if uh, the next reviewer has the same opinion of uh, CloudKit not being a primary data source or if that was just a fluke. I guess we'll see. Yeah. So with this experience, Clay, do you think that the way that the App Store does its reviews is actually scalable? And we're going to probably see an even more increase of developers and that obviously means they probably need an increase of people to actually review the apps. So with your experience of um, submitting Flourish, what are your thoughts on that? I think it's absolutely not scalable. I mean, I guess everything's scalable to some extent if you've got enough cash. Um, but still, I mean, there's just there's so many aspects to it. And it's such a technical review process. Um right that it just, it's just not scalable to me. Um, I think that they need to have more kind of automated tests and deploy tools. If CloudKit is, you know, the, you know, let's take this as an example, rather than having a human test and say, hey, it looks like your primary data source is CloudKit, you know, maybe there would be some way to implement a unit test yourself, maybe sanctioned by Apple saying, hey, drop in this test, and if this test passes in your app, then you're gonna pass this test in during our review process. And now you could see these guidelines. And you can't do that with things like interface guidelines per se, but there's definitely a lot of infrastructure guidelines and kind of architecture things that Apple could just give you a library and, and or even just example unit tests to drop in and they say, hey, these are the tests we're gonna run. If it passes, you're good to go to the next stage, right? I guess it's a cautionary tale. Um, and I think something that's so ambiguous shouldn't, you know, it should, I would have expected that situation to be more of like a guideline where the reviewer might say, you know, this is not what we advise, FYI, or, you know, this is a risky thing, kind of like they do with, with uh, the interface guidelines. If you don't adhere to them strictly, your app will still get published in the store if it works, if it passes everything else because of their guidelines. Um, being so harsh, I think, on this case is, is it's weird. I mean, it's not what I would have expected. Yeah. I just wish Apple was better at documenting. You know, I mean, they have some great documentation in, in a lot of places, but um, I think releasing an app and publishing your first app, especially your first time, is one of the most difficult things to do in the development ecosystem, like as a whole. Like as a developer, I've been programming for 10 years and like learning how to generate uh, the signing certificates oh, yeah. and provisioning pre provisioning profiles and dealing with the review process and like all of these things you have to do that are just so proprietary to Apple's way 
man, that's just like I feel like they're just missing out on an opportunity and the barrier to entry is too steep. Let's not forget, you, you have to mail them documents still, right? About your company and um, where you're incorporated and all that good stuff. Yeah, you can skip some of that. Uh, my last time around went a little bit faster because they partnered with uh, Duns and Bradstreet. So you can you can get your DMB, but DMB is far from the most uh, simplistic process. So it's more like, okay, well, I've already got a DMB profile. So that can automate your, your right. application process a bit. This leads well into the conversation about our favorite subject, which is the breakneck speed of, of Apple releases. Now that we're having our gripes about Apple's processes, we should talk a little bit about the software. I can't remember a time when we're seeing releases this quick. I remember we were going to do a podcast on 8.3 over the weekend, and here we are at the 8.4 beta. And it just seems like, and now we're on, we have a new Xcode beta as well, and we're just moving on insanely quick. So I think that this is, by all accounts, uh, we are seeing this update because eventually the Apple streaming service is going to depend on iOS 8.4, but it's 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 strange because the release notes don't say anything about fixing the big bugs that we saw in the last version of Xcode, uh, and it's just kind of baffling. I don't really know what to make of it. Yeah, to me, it's it's like I think Apple is updating very rapidly because they release Swift like really really early and in such an infancy stage that it's kind of like they're not really dealing with a stable architecture anymore. You know, like, it's like, I, f I feel that Swift evolves so quickly because they're having to fix bugs and add features in. Um, so that really, I mean, if they wanted to, they could take, they have a significant enough update, they could probably release bi-weekly, you know, and, and have a new release uh, with, with significant improvements. So I think a lot of that has to do really with Swift and, and probably some of the migrations they're doing under the hood with some of their SDKs. Because um, yeah. kind of every release we're seeing like some of those those Cocoa libraries like get updated and become more Swift friendly. I found a really handy chart of how long things were in, in beta 4. But yeah, like... I would have thought we would have had, you know, iOS 8.3.1 because they were they were they were breaking um, a lot of breaking changes. It seemed in the last update, the last beta. I mean, like everything from Touch ID not working at all for some people, um, and definitely the fair share of Xcode issues. Uh, the pinwheel when using a custom font storyboard is a well documented one on the forums, and. This latest release doesn't really fix any of them, so it's 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 interesting. And I, I think on that point, I want to read a post um, from an Apple employee on the Dev forums about uh, the pinwheel problem with using storyboards in Xcode 6.3. This someone asked if if they had a fix for it in 6.4 and the response verbatim thank you all for the reports we are tracking this on our end 
and are working hard to resolve it. Unfortunately, we don't have a great workaround. Uh, so it seems like they're stumped, but they're still releasing things. So it it gives the impression there's kind of two forces that are a little bit opposing each other. There's the QA side and the kind of patching and the bug fixes, and then there's kind of the business angle of having to get some things in place by certain times to um, adhere to a launch schedule. And I think for developers, it can be a little frustrating because we're kind of waiting on things we would think are high priority, but for Apple, they're obviously not. It reminds me of the relationship with clients. <laughs> 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 you know, they have they have their business needs, and as a developer, you know, you have your own mindset and, and your own set of problems, and that the struggle is real, and it's always this interesting balance of like, you know, having to respect your client, you know, when you're doing that work, and and the business needs as well as like still write good stable code, you know, that's reusable and and you know, uh, agile and, you know, so I think it just makes me smile to like realize that a multi-billion dollar company has the same struggles that I do. So with that note in mind, enjoy your day. Hope that your new Apple watch serves every purpose that you wish it to serve. Yeah. Yeah. pause. Did did you just clap? (laughs) I swear I heard a clap. Virtual high five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yay. Yay. This is where some music Clay picks from like 1975 starts playing. Yes. <laughs> it's a good podcast. When you were here before, you couldn't look you in the eye. You're just like an angel. Your skin makes me cry. Float like a feather in a beautiful world. I wish I was special. You're so very special.
Bye.